Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting startup founders share their stories and strategies. They also deliver tangible lessons learned along the way that you can apply to your own startup. Each episode is a true masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Start the recording. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my special guest today is Nathan Hirsch. Nathan, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Kevin, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. We uh we we had to find a slot, and we had to find another slot, and we had to find another slot, and when it would fit in in both of our schedules. But Nathan, I appreciate your persistence, and and I'm I'm really anxious to hear your story. But before we get started, please share a little bit about yourself with our audience. Yeah, sure, and and appreciate you bearing with me on some some scheduling changes. Uh, I'm a, a longtime entrepreneur. I've never had a, a real job outside of a few uh, high school and, and college internships. I started a an e-commerce business in college that actually started with me buying and selling textbooks uh, out of my college dorm room as a, a side hustle. Uh, I was competing with my school bookstore <laughs> and eventually got a cease and desist letter from my school, Quinnipiac University, telling me to, to knock it off because I was stealing too much of their business, which ended up being one of the best things that, that ever happened to me. I had this Amazon account. This was 2008, 2009, before all the courses and coaches and software, none of that really existed. And, and I had this Amazon account. I was using it to sell textbooks. And I started just experimenting with what other products can I sell on Amazon and how can I get these products? And I remember one day I came up with the idea of drop shipping years before I even knew it was called drop shipping. Mm. The concept that I could find people that made products that I obviously didn't make. And, and I would have them keep my credit card on file and I would get the orders on Amazon and list their products. And I was good at getting sales and they would ship the product where I told them to and charge my card. And I could net whatever that, that difference was. And before I knew it, I was running this very large Amazon business out of my, my college dorm room. And I needed to hire, I, I was overworked and trying to balance school and life and socializing and, and this new Amazon business. And one of my first hires uh, ended up being my business partner, Connor Gillivan. And he was very passionate about e-commerce and entrepreneurship. And, and I quickly made him my partner. But we we really struggled to, to hire college kids. They were mm. very unreliable. I remember <laughs> banging on people's dorm rooms, trying to get them to wake up and actually show up at, to work. And, and we were 20, so... Hiring adults seemed scary at the time. We we didn't think any adults wanted to to work for us. So that's kind of how we ventured into the the virtual assistant space. A, a buddy of mine had this photography business, and he was using a VA. And he kind of told me about the Philippines. And I hired my my first VA, Chicky Ann, who taught me a lot uh, about the Philippines, and ended up building what what I called my VA army to to build my Amazon business. And from there. Amazon got harder. They started changing the algorithms. Uh, they, they more competitors, courses, coaches, all this stuff was coming out, and and we never had our own brand. We were always selling other people's brands. So we we sold twenty five million over six years. We probably peaked out at around six or seven, but then we were kind of going in circles. We were doing two million one year, and then four, and then three, and and it was kind of stressful, just always adapting to whatever yeah. Amazon was it's doing. Hard to staff for that. <laughs> exactly. So we had all these VAs that were great, but we were like, they were part-time and seasonal. And, and, mm -hmm. and we started talking to Amazon sellers who needed help. And we had all these VAs. So we started leasing them out to, to other Amazon sellers, which became the, the free up marketplace and, yep. and it quickly surpassed our, our Amazon sales. And 
And we, we created a process where we'd vet VAs before letting them into our network. We wouldn't train them. We'd match them up with e-commerce sellers, starting with Amazon, eventually Shopify, eBay, whatever, uh, and eventually outside e-com too. And we'd have great support. If anything went wrong, uh, we, we would take care of it. So we scaled this business for four years, got it to, to around 12 million a year. Uh, that company was acquired in November, 2019, right before the pandemic, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Um, and we can all kinda, this money and nothing to spend it on. <laughs> right. Uh, it's funny. The, the original plan was to to travel the world for a year. And I didn't think I'd see Connor for a year or two. And then we were kind of locked at home with nothing to do. And, <laughs> and, and we started brainstorming other businesses. So we, we quickly launched a course called Outsource School, which we, we run today as a, a membership. And uh, it teaches people our unique hiring process, interviewing, mm -hmm. onboarding, training, and managing. And, and that kind of bought us time to, to really figure out how we get back into the e-commerce space. Do we want to launch yeah. a product? Do we want another service? We didn't want to do anything with VAs again. Uh, but we, we started consulting with a few e-commerce sellers. We realized pretty quickly we did not like being consultants, uh, but the common theme was we'd go in and we'd revamp their financials because we couldn't help them make decisions without seeing what the numbers were actually telling us. And and we were always good at that with free up at the the month would end by the fifteenth we would get an income statement, balance sheet, cash flow. We'd make decisions. It obviously helped us uh, pass due diligence in the sale, and and that's when we had the idea of a, an e-commerce uh, monthly bookkeeping service, which we launched at. The beginning of this year and this year has been a lot of market research and hiring and processes and doing a beta round with clients and now we're launching a second brand called accounts balance for for non-e-commerce mm -hmm. uh, businesses as well so we're kind of at that turning point where hopefully we can take off and scale this thing but that's kind of the the long short version of how i went from uh books to baby products to to free up to outsource school to, to econ balance I, I love the uh, right at the, end, the beginning of your intro, you said, you know, that you got a cease and desist letter from the university. You know, that's happened so often with students and especially in the textbook space, you know, when they try to sell textbooks out of their, like their dorm room and their their college bookstore, you know, told them you, you can't do this anymore. I think that's antitrust. I, I think that's, you know, if you probably wanted to push that, that's probably illegal for them to to do that to you you know it's a there it's probably a scare tactic and and obviously it works over and over and over again but i'm thinking you talk about limiting competition you know you because you just want to have a monopoly of of selling textbooks on your campus there but i there are so many so many people that have that that is kind of their origin story that you know i started selling textbooks you know in college or whatever and it, you know rarely did they did they take it to the level that you've taken it for sure but um, it, it is such, it's such, it's so funny that that's kind of a common thread on so many, you know, kind of startup stories, but I, I love the, I, I think I was listening to another podcast that you were doing about, you know, you were talking about your kind of the virtual assistant space and, you know, so often things are, are born out of frustration. And I know that you had experienced some frustration in the space when you talk about, you know, whether it's. Uh, you know, Odesk or whatever other services, Fiverr, you know, you were trying to use, you, you were trying to solve a little bit of that problem too with this, with this service, right? Yeah. I mean, every business I've started, it has kind of been out of frustration. I remember uh, buying textbooks for hundreds of dollars. And then, then at the end of the semester, I try to sell them back and they'd offer me 10 bucks. And I'm like, yes. well, what is this? And I remember being angry about that. Um, then when we were hiring all these VAs, I remember just 
going through interview after interview yep. after interview. And it, what was good about that was it, it made us create this really great interview process, which is fast. And, and this is what we teach at outsource school. But at the time we were like, why isn't there a marketplace that I can just say, Hey, I need a graphic designer. I need a writer. I need a customer service rep. And they just provide me one, maybe two people that are already vetted that, that they know are going to be a good fit. And, and that I know that the marketplace is going to protect me if anything goes wrong. And, um, that's what that we kept looking for and looking for it. And when we couldn't find it, we said, you know what, we're going to build this ourselves. And um, I mean, with outsource school, I remember back in the day, us looking for some kind of course on hiring. I, I took business in school and they taught marketing, they taught uh, finance and all these different things. But if you can't hire, you can't scale your business. Yeah. And, and I learned that very quickly. So I always wish there was a really good hiring course out there and that's outsource school and um, econ balance. My, my first year of being an entrepreneur, I, I didn't know bookkeeping. I would dump everything on my account at the end of the year and I wouldn't have numbers to make decisions. And I was flying by the seat of my pants mm. and I wanted someone who would just take the information in my business, get me a quote, get me clean and caught up quickly, get me accurate numbers on time every single month and help me grow my business and make it easier for my CPA yeah. who's more expensive. And that's what we built with Ecom Balance. And I always think those are the best businesses, just solving your own problems and seeing if other people have the same ones. Absolutely. And absolutely. And it's interesting, you you talked about, you know, the, really the two areas like you're you're looking at, you know, you've got your accounting side, but that that is different than the tax side of things. You know, you've got you because you're not you're not doing the right now you're not doing the tax side of things right it's just it's simply the the like the month month of month accounting and finances side right right so i mean we can do any kind of catch up and clean up our core service is that monthly bookkeeping charge mm -hmm. you on the first you get books by the 15th or earlier and if you're using us for monthly books we can do add-on services like payroll or sales tax or right. um, APIR, but our core service is that monthly bookkeeping. And we, we might add the tax later, but to be honest, I've always broken down the the, the tax versus the monthly bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. And there, to me, there's so many benefits. I mean, first of all, a lot of CPA firms, even if they offer bookkeeping are not set up to do monthly bookkeeping on time every single month because they have busy seasons. They have times where they're very focused on tax. Good point, yeah. And they're also very, like you can do bookkeeping in a way that's accurate from a tax side, but still doesn't display things in a way that the entrepreneur can make decisions. And if you hire a good bookkeeping service, that's their only focus. That's what they're trying to do every single month. And then you also get two brains working together that can collaborate and you almost mm -hmm. get a finance team. And you can even add a third wheel when you get over 5 million, a CFO or part-time CFO or outside CFO. So kind of forming that finance team. And, right. and there's also a diversity, a diversification element as well. If you mm -hmm. lose your tax person, you just replace the tax person. You replace your book, you lose your bookkeeper, yeah. you just replace your bookkeeper yeah. instead of just having no one if that CPA who's also doing your bookkeeping leaves. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense and and maybe even a safeguard for you too because you know, if if your accountant is kind of monkeying with the books and the the, the CPA is going, "Hey, this just doesn't look right," you know, on a on a monthly basis. I think you're generating a lot more revenue. They're, they're missing a zero here sometimes, you know, the the whole idea of there's a there's kind of a check and balance, you know, Absolutely. in that whole process.
Yeah. I mean, even the best bookkeepers or the best accountants, like you can have someone else look at it from a clean slate and come yep. up with some idea, some, something that makes it better. And, and that's what it's all about. It's not necessarily about being right or wrong. It's about getting that second set of eyes, second set of experience in there that, that can help your business. So I, I really want to, uh, to drill down on e-com ballots. I mean, that's, that's kind of the baby that was launched this, you know, and born this year, but um, before we kind of get into the more general, like, you know, what's it like to lead a company? How do you come up with business ideas, that type of thing? But let, let's just talk a little bit that, you know, give you a plug right here in the middle. Tell me about Econ Balance. Tell me about the launch, how it's gone so far. Yeah, it's, it's been a fun year. So we, we came up with this idea at the end of last year, and we started off with just market research. We interviewed over 100 e-commerce sellers, uh, people I knew in the space. We actually post the results of that on the e-commerce ba balance blog, if anyone wants to check it out. And we want to know everything from what, what do people like about bookkeeping, not like who are the competitors in the space, what services are they using, what mm -hmm. do they like about them, what does that perfect service look like? And we we wanted to see if there's a market for it. And we left that those interviews thinking, hey, there is a market for it. And a lot of the, the bookkeeping services in the space either are built by bookkeepers who aren't necessarily the best at, at scaling and growing and hiring and building processes, um, or they don't understand e-commerce, or they've got systems that, that can be improved, at, or they're just not that great at marketing and, and right. brand awareness. So we, we saw an opportunity there. We we hired a controller here in Colorado. That was a 60-day process right there, trying to find the, the right person because so much just depends on that, that key hire. Um, and, and then building a team around them, uh, both in Colorado and in the Philippines and having that initial team, which is now up to 10 at the time of launch was, was two or three. And then we did a beta round. We, we started um, promoting two free months of bookkeeping for mm -hmm. anyone that was willing to, to give us a chance. And bear with us as our processes probably wouldn't start off great. And we needed feedback and things were going to break and people, we needed people that would be patient with us and, and not hold feedback back and, um, and, and share with us what we can make it better. And we use those first 20, 25 people to, to really create everything from how we give out pricing quotes to our integration process of getting access to things, to kickoff calls, to the cleanup and catch up process, to the monthly process and, and even add on services. So, that was a, a great experience there. And from there, we started hiring and, and focusing on building processes and, and finding to fine tuning everything. And now we're at the point where we've got 60 clients or so at the time of, of filming this, we've got a, a team of 10 and hopefully we're right at that point where we can start really um, scaling and growing. I know I've been spending more time um, on podcasts, on mm -hmm. cold outreach and setting those systems up. Uh, we're doing a lot with like SEO and content. We launched that second brand accounts balance, which is for non-e-commerce businesses, which we were getting anyway through referrals, but now we have a, a whole team just for non-e-commerce businesses. So that's kind of the, the flow and, and where we're at, really focused on perfecting that monthly bookkeeping experience. And most importantly, putting things in a way that entrepreneurs can understand each month and make decisions on because entrepreneurs don't need to know how to do bookkeeping and they shouldn't be doing their own bookkeeping, uh, but they do need to be able to make decisions every month based on what the reports are telling them. That is, that's so crucial. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast about, you know, just like handing your CPA box of receipts at the end of the year and say, good luck as you work through this. And you're thinking, you know, I had at no point in time during the year, could I have made decisions based on, you know, real time data that, you know, the exactly. real time financial data that you had. And, and it, that it is so it's, it's hard to hire with data, let alone, you know, trying to take a shot in the dark without 
you know, having that data available. But um, that that is that is such an interesting story, and and how often you know like businesses are born out of out of frustration or need, you know, a real need that you have, and you look around. There's you know there's no real services that are kind of providing this this you know business in a box, this complete you know answer to all the problems that I was having. And then you did you did an extensive amount of kind of market research to make sure that the you know you had product market fit, you know, moving forward, but. I'm I'm curious if you if you uh, sell this business tomorrow and you wake up you know Monday morning and you think okay now what I mean what what's the next step I mean you know obviously finances are probably not an issue for you much anymore so how do you you know you do this out more out of the love of doing this I think than than anything and just I you know I'm just wired this way my brain you know compels me to be an entrepreneur you know so what would you do if you woke up tomorrow and, and What's, a, what's another business you would start? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I do love building businesses. I think, I mean, the, it, just coming up with the next business idea is uh, not not as easy as it sounds. I mean, I remember go like during the pandemic after we had sold free up, I mean, we had so many bad business ideas that we were just <laughs> going back and forth and we'd meet up every week at a coffee shop and just talk stuff out. And I think being on lockdown also just killed our creativity for a bit as I'm sure it did with, with other people. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. I, I don't necessarily have another business I'm focused on for, for whatever reason, I tend to be like very focused on whatever I'm doing. Like with mm -hmm. Amazon, I was only doing Amazon with free up. I was only doing free up for four years with outsource school at that time. We were very focused on that. And, and right now econ balance is, is what we're, we're thinking of. Um, I mean, whatever we do would probably be in the e-commerce space. I prefer B2B businesses instead of um, B2C for whatever yeah. reason. And yeah. I prefer services over product. And any business I start has to be completely remote, has to be uh, lean and, and running with very little overhead. And and those are kind of my requirements, but I don't necessarily have a, a next big idea that I'm I'm excited to work on or anything like that. So it's interesting. I I I just want to. I don't want to fly by the. You said something really interesting a minute ago. You said I prefer B two B over B two C, and I prefer services over products. Is that born out of experience, or is that born out of just personal preference, or is it some combination of the two? Uh, I mean, it, it's experience in the sense that I ran a product based business for Amazon, mm -hmm. and um, I feel like I didn't get as much fulfillment out of that as I mm -hmm. did with FreeUp when I was helping other business owners. And there's a networking aspect of it. And um, when you're selling products, I mean, you're you're very much it's you and like maybe some other people in the products that you're selling, but those are your your director or competitors. And in B two B, like we have so many partnerships and events I've gone to, mm -hmm. and yeah. and just great relationships that I built throughout the years. And I I mean, I got a a lot of satisfaction at free up being able to help business owners scale with great VAs and hopefully we get the same thing with econ balance. So that's kind of where it gets into the the personal preference of it. I think I have a lot more fun growing those businesses. I think there's a lot more opportunities that fit my skill set, which is um, w whether it's like going on podcasts or lead generation or something like that. Uh, SEO at, that Connor is very good at and, and our website and building our own brand. A lot of our skill set, I think, in that is targeted more on B2B that, than B2B than B2C. Right. And you, are you still in partnership with your original partner? Yeah, he's coming over to my house in 15 minutes whenever this podcast is over. So, um, yeah, we, we've been working together for, for 10 years, and I think we're we're very lucky. I mean, we we have very different skill sets, very mm -hmm. different personalities, but 
we have the same core values. We want the same thing. Um, we care about our customers and team and culture and, and, and building business the right way and, and, and all of that. So I think that that becomes important. I mean, we, we've had other partners in the past that we parted ways with for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, usually around not wanting the, the same outcomes and, yep. um, and, and it's fine. We're still friends with a lot of those people, but I think for us, when you, you find, or I guess I can only speak for me, when you find a partner that you really trust that mm-hmm. you give your social security number number two, or you'd have them sign documents for you, or, or you'd go through an acquisition. Um, and more importantly, you've gone through bad times too, because it's very easy to be a business partner with someone when everything's going great. Yep. You you really find out when you can work together, if you have bad months or bad years mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is. So I think from that point, it, it's it's tough for me to think about adding a, a partner um, that I don't have the, the history with. I mean, it, it literally is a, a business marriage. I mean, it, I mean, it, it is that it can be at that level, you know, that you're, you know, you're so committed to that. So, um, I, I'm curious. So like it, you, you know, I've interviewed so many people that, that are like have partners or have business partners or co-founders or whatever. And it's, it's like, it's all over the map, you know, as, as far as how the relationships have gone and the longevity and all that, but I, I'm curious. So, you know, you, you said something really interesting. You said we have kind of complementary skill sets. So that is hard to value, you know, like contribution is hard to value. Have, did you have to find a, an equilibrium together? That's that like, did, was there ever a time where one person felt like, you know, I'm kind of kicking in about 70% here and you're kind of kicking in about 30% here. And, you know, but we're, we're 50, 50 on paper. So what does this look like? How did you ever have any issues like that, that you had to work through? So we never, we've never had an issue with like one person doing more or less. I think, well, since we, since we sold free up, I think we have a much better work-life balance, but I think before that we we're both kind of workaholics that would do whatever it takes to, to <laughs> both get of it you done. 110. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so we never really had to, to worry about that. I mean, what, during the, the, the Amazon business towards the end of it, um, Connor wasn't sure whether he wanted to, uh, like start his own company, which he, he set up. Um, he also had the Amazon business. Um, he also had his own blog and then he was also, um, with free up and I had him kind of doing part-time on mm, that with other yep. stuff and, and free up ended up blowing the other ones out of the water for whatever reason. And then we renegotiated him back in there. And, um, but there was never a point where it was about work. It was more about, um, like he didn't know what he wanted to do next, which I totally understood. And we all kind of go through that at one point and I'm fortunate enough to kind of always been focused on one thing, but mm-hmm. I, I kind of got where he was coming from. So I, I remember there being this situation where he asked me to, to get coffee with him. And, and I thought he was quitting free up and going to focus on his other business and his own adventure. And that the, the point of that meeting was to tell me that he wanted to quit the other stuff and only focus on free up and, and renegotiate um, our, our original agreement there, which yeah. I couldn't have been happier with. And yeah. I remember telling my wife, I think Connor's going to quit on me and then coming back and <laughs> telling her like Connor's all in and, He's all and, in. and I'm right. like, and I'm like, yeah, we're going to make this happen. Like, let's come to an agreement. And I mean, that was one of the best decisions that, that, he made and, yep. and I made because we, we sold the business four years later, which changed our lives. 
you, you came home, you said, Hey, I got good news and bad news. Good news <laughs> is I got a great partner and he's all in. The bad news is my intuition is broken. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I have zero insight in, into what's going to happen next. But you, you've, uh, you, you've had a lot of experience in your young years of, you know, kind of leading companies and leading initiatives and launching things. And this is, this is kind of my favorite part of the whole interview is really the, like a mentor moment here. That's like, if you, if you're speaking to people that are in our audience that are, you know, much further behind you in this kind of journey, and they're just getting started, what are one or two really just kind of quick hit, but salient points that say, Hey, I wish I'd have known this when I started, but now I've kind of learned this by, you know, maybe the school of hard knocks, you know, type thing, but are so important to leading well and, and, you know, to lead or to ha help your company grow well. Yeah. So I'll kind of give two. The, the first one, I think I'm fortunate enough that during one of my internships, um, someone told me this and, and I've done this with every business and it, it's been super helpful. And the second one, I just learned from mistakes and, and bad experiences. So uh, the, the first one is getting your minimum viable product or service out there as, as quickly as possible mm. and trying to sell it and proving that you can actually sell it before you would double down and put tons of time or money or your retirement savings or whatever it is. And I remember being so frustrated with the entrepreneurship community that I was in in Florida. Um, not all of them, just a select community I'm thinking of, um, where it's it felt like no one could do anything unless someone gave them five hundred thousand dollars, and mm -hmm. only if they got five hundred thousand dollars, then they'd build the software, then they'd create the service. Yeah. Where my mentality has always been, just get it out there. Like with with textbooks, I bought my first textbooks and tried to sell it, and if that didn't work, I was going to move on to something else. And mm -hmm. with same thing with dropshipping baby products. And the first 10 customers left me bad reviews. I was moving on to something else. Uh, <laughs> free up, we we had those initial clients that leased the VAs out for for lack of a better word. And they were super happy. And before we we built the the free up marketplace software, which is a big part of, of growing it down the line, before we hired a developer and did all that, we proved that people actually liked the service and, yeah. and that it could sell. And same thing with outsource school. We we launched a course and if everyone hated it, we would have just refunded everyone and moved on to the next thing. And luckily people liked it. So we added content. But before we just filmed for six months, we launched one course and and made sure people were happy with it before we added more. And mm. Obviously, with Econ Balance, we we gave out the two free months of bookkeeping uh, for our beta clients, and uh, that allowed uh, that allowed us to get feedback. And I mean, if we couldn't land twenty initial clients, we weren't going to build software or hire more people or, or whatever it was. So, yep. getting that minimum viable product out there is is super important. Um, and the second one is just diversification. I remember um, a story I tell another podcast is I went on vacation and my one manager and my one supplier quit on me and my whole business just went down the tube very quickly. And I learned that you need multiple suppliers and you need to have a team that each has its own focus on, on different teams inside your company. And whether it's a product or a service or internally in your business or with processes, like make sure you're diversifying and you don't have all eggs in one basket um, in any part of your business. And that's, it's interesting because most of the time people talk about like div diversified income streams, but you're talking about it like 360 holistically, like, you know, you got to be diversified in the, in your hiring, you got to be diversified in cross training, you got to be diversified in suppliers, you got to be diversified in products that you have, you know, all those things that you were, were talking about. It's, that's, that's a really interesting take. 
Yeah, I actually think people get in trouble with diversifying income streams. Like I think if you're a veteran entrepreneur and you've done it before and you've had success and you understand the parts of business and maybe you've gone through an exit or at least made a good amount of money, like, yeah, diversify your income streams. I have a condo I rent out and and stuff like that. Um, but if you're just getting started, diversification on income streams can be a huge distraction mm -hmm. and you can lose focus yeah. on, on whatever your, your best income stream is, which you you should be doubling down on. And for every person that does it very well, there's plenty of people that, that do it poorly and, and it actually hurts them. And for me, it's if you find that good income stream, make sure you're diversifying inside that income stream mm. to protect it at all costs because you never know what part of your business is going to go down. Uh, that is a great point. That's a great, it's like, Kind of like the the old adage that said, you know, you're a jack of all trades, but a master of none. You know, I, I'm doing a lot of things, but I'm not doing anything well, you know, because right. I'm, I'm I am so diversified individually that, you know, I, I can't I can't, you know, commit to one thing. But it is it, you're you're a little bit of a unicorn because there, you know, you are certainly a serial entrepreneur, but you are all in when you're in, you know, when when you're in, in a boat, you're all in. You know, there are yeah. so many that struggle with shiny object syndrome, you know. That, that's a fun for me. I mean, a fun thing for me. I mean, I think entrepreneurship for me is like a puzzle you got to try to solve and you never really know what's right or what, what's wrong. It's just a lot of educated guesses and you kind of <laughs> look at problems and look at what you're trying to do and you're like, what's the, the best way to do it? And what, what can I, what kind of past experience can I apply to this? And um, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the fun for me. And um, like I mentioned, I have a much better work-life balance now and I only do things if I 100% want to do them. But um, Econ Balance has been a lot of fun so far and we've been able to help a lot of people and, and we have a great team. So we're excited for what the future holds. I mean, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, an artist, an artist has to create art, you know, just who you, who they are, you know, and you, sounds like you, you have to create something in the entrepreneurial space. That's just who you are. That's just the, you know, the fiber that's your DNA that, that is inside you. But, and this is, it's been such a great chat, Nathan, and I, I really appreciate you taking time today just to kind of share the story with, with our audience, but is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would just like to wrap up with today and then, you know, tell everybody where the, where they can find you online. And if that, you know, that two month uh, issue is still out there, you know, we, we certainly want to make sure that that's linked in the, in the show as well. Yeah. So one thing, just a quick bookkeeping tip, like on your calendar, every single month around the 15th, you should have a meeting on your calendar with your business partner, your husband, your wife, your leadership team, whoever it is. And this is a meeting that Connor and I have been running for six years. And we have a financial agenda, our agenda for that meeting right on the Econ Balance site. You can grab it. Uh, you can go through it every month. It's going to help your business immensely and help you really understand what's going on and make the right decisions in the right way. Um, go to econbalance.com if you're interested. And, and using us um, or accounts balance if you're a non-ecom business. Uh, two free months are, are on me for anyone that mentions this podcast. So make sure if you sign up to get a quote, you mentioned this podcast, two months are on me to, to kind of try us out and uh, feel free to connect with me, Nathan Hirsch on any social media channel. Nathan is very active on on LinkedIn. That's that's where I, I first connected with him and uh, great content. I mean, you know, it's, it's not fluffy brownie pictures with his dog. I mean, it is stuff that is so relevant to not just to e-commerce, but I'm um, just to entrepreneurship as a whole. And uh, man, I really appreciate the uh, the content you share and how you lead your community well. But Nathan, thank you again for, to, for taking time today and just sharing these uh, golden nuggets with our audience and really just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Nathan, have a great weekend. You too. Thanks so much for having me. 
another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.